0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching.
1: Good morning, Awaken. Welcome. Come on in. We are having Sacred Sunday today, so our screen is down, which means our vision video doesn't kick off the gathering. Um, If you haven't yet, we have these... um, bulletins that have the lyrics to the songs and the order of service on it. So yeah, welcome, make your way in. My name is Kathy Solomon. I'm the director of Community Life and sharing just a warm welcome as you come in. For me, this time of year, this shift of seasons really marks time. Um, We head abruptly, I feel like, out of summer into fall, And it's always a little bit jarring for me because I really love summer and I really love fall. But it's just a stark transition. It's not like one of these overlapping, like I feel like the other seasons of the year are. And um, so just want to name that we're bringing in a transition, a time where people have gone back to school. You're adjusting to new schedules. We have a new rhythm in our community, back to two gatherings kicking things off, starting kids community and many other events, and yet it just feels good to come together and gather and be together as a faith community. This morning as we begin, I also just want to acknowledge that many of us have been shifting seasons or taking um, kind of movement from seasons that we have been in in our faith into a different season. Maybe you call it a shift. Maybe you call it a journey, a migration. And um, our community, that's where many of us are in our faith. We're experiencing a shift from how we've held our faith before into new ways of wondering and walking with the Spirit. And so I have a blessing for us to begin this morning. This is from Kate Baller. She's a professor at Duke University, as well a podcaster and author. And this is a blessing for when faith breaks your heart. Blessed are you standing among the ruins of faith, a faith that once felt so sturdy now turned to dust under your feet the certainty you once had, gone, the community you loved, dissipated, the hope you held dear, hard to find. Instead, what's taken up residence is the very stuff that seems counter to what you imagined. Disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, despair. In this new landscape, may you practice the courage to find the others who make space for your questions without easy answers, who celebrate doubt when it makes room for more faith, who search high and low for a defiant hope born amidst despair. Bless you, dear one, dear ones, You who don't give up wrestling, who have eyes to see something new being rebuilt on top of what was. Blessed are you who walk away wounded, yes, but changed. You who demand a blessing from the God who is near the brokenhearted and whose love you could never, ever be separated from. There is room for you here. There's room for all of us here. Bless you. Let's come and worship. Go ahead and be seated. I know normally we have you interact and meet one another um, after the kid's blessing, but I'm going to share a little bit and then we'll have time to do that. We have been spending some time over the past four or five gatherings sharing about just different places, opportunities to serve in Awaken's community, and as community life director, uh, there's a few areas of things that I oversee that we could use some help with. So sharing about those, we've talked about kids' community, about the hospitality, and other needs we have but specifically with community life community life is basically about how can we make connections and get to know one another welcome one another and take this journey of faith together so a few things one um there's people who are on the discover awaken booth host team kind of a long name for something that's really simple. It's the people who stand at the entrance back there and just give a warm welcome as you come into the gathering. So um, pretty simple, give a hospitable warm welcome. If people need information, if they're new, they can come back to the booth and um, share information and just provide a sense of letting people know that they're seen and welcomed here so if that's something that you would enjoy doing that's something that is part of who you are we'd love to have you on the team the team is really pretty healthy right now Um, if you are on the team you serve probably once every four to six weeks one gathering um, in that time but um, the last time the team met together a few weeks ago there was a realization that we're kind of female heavy. So um, we would love to have some more guys on the team, um, bringing a diversity of welcome um, as we come here, at least in uh, gender. So uh, if that sounds like something, the way that you'd like to serve, we'd love to have you on the team. Reach out to me. There's a sign up back in the back. The other thing that is part of um, responsibilities that I um, help support and oversee it. Awaken our Awaken's life groups. And life groups are just a way to be known, um, to be seen, and to journey with others in your faith. Um, at Awaken, as you could well imagine, we don't have like this set curriculum that we're going through that you need to do homework for every week, but it's just a sense of can you come as who you are And let's also take time, because we are a faith community, to talk about our questions. What are you pondering in your faith? What are you wrestling with? What are you doubting? What epiphanies have you had of late? Um, And also the sermon series. What things from the sermon series are you stewing on? Are you hearing? Have you heard? Um, Do you want to process with the group? So um, we're looking for life group hosts. We have people in our community. Right now we have like 16 life groups. And um, life groups meet a couple times a month. So hosts just really make space. You make space for people to gather and you value people who come and where they are in the journey um it on one hand it's a little bit more of a commitment because it's consistent but i know um the people who step up to host have a heart just again to make space a couple times a month to gather a group of people together um last spring there were six people who or six kind of groups that people who were processing and starting this discernment and just because you start there doesn't mean at the very end this process of discernment to becoming a host that you'll end there Um, and the groups that opened last spring um, are full and so we are looking for more um, groups to open I have a list of people who are interested in being part of life groups that um, is getting long and While usually I say, God, this is your church. You're going to take care of this. Uh, I'm starting to feel a little um, nervous about where people are going to find where there's going to be open spaces to slot in. So if you're interested in at least starting that process of discernment um, to hosting a life group, would love to talk with you. And um, now... Also, just kind of lending into our value of hospitality. The reason why we do this like greeting time is because we really do value being hospitable and caring for one another and getting to know one another. So we'll just take a couple minutes here. Stand up, greet the people around you, and then we'll continue on with our gathering. Um,
2: Welcome to you if you're new. Uh, We'd love to know if you were here, Uh, so in the seat pockets in front of you or the the pews or online there's a button you can click for fill out a card that says I'm new and um, fill that out put it in any of these black boxes here or if you do it online that'll come to us we will invite you to a beverage of your choice get to know you a little bit you can get to know us and um, if you also if you have tithes or offerings this morning that you've brought uh, those can go in the black boxes there's lots of ways that you can give including online Um, but we're grateful for each of those gifts There is a congregational meeting that's happening tonight at 6.30. Uh, We are transitioning out of an affiliation with a denomination. And so all of our bylaws and constitution governing documents reflect that previous relationship. And so those need to change. Uh, And that uh, requires a vote of the partners who call Awaken Home. So uh, 6.30 tonight in person. Uh, If you're not able to make it, there is an option online. You should have gotten that email this last week if you did not. Eric, with a K, eric at awakenwestseventh.com, and he can send that out. And you can participate and vote online if you're not able to make it tonight. But if you are, 6.30, right here. Um, I've been hosting Mondays with Micah, second and fourth Mondays, for the men of Awaken to join me for breakfast. Uh, Tomorrow is in Minneapolis again at Turtle Bread in the Longfellow neighborhood. There's multiple Turtle Breads over there, so don't go to Linden Hills unless you want to be alone. Um, (laughs) I'll be there at 7 with a group of guys, so I'd love to see some of you there if you are able. Uh, Trevor and I have been working on a confirmation program, uh, which we're really excited about, but it does require students. As much as I love Trevor, I don't want to hang out with him that much on Wednesday nights. So, um, parents, if you're, you've been on the fence, um, we really need to know if you're thinking about doing this. And um, there should have been an email that came to you this last week with a couple of questions. If, it would, if we shifted a couple of things, would it help or not? So um, trying to get a critical mass uh, for that group, confirmation, so that's out there. First kickoff, if we're doing it, is September the 13th, so right around the corner. Uh, Discover Awaken is happening on the 24th of September. That's a class that we offer once every couple months uh, for new folks who are coming to Awaken to learn more about it. That is um, right after the second gathering, so we have lunch for that, and would love to know you're coming so that we can host you for that. Um, I'm going to invite the Vons, Jackie and Vince, up here who want to say a few things about the fall retreat, as they do, I'll just mention... Um, f- Big, big, big turnout for the fall retreat, um, which is great. Lots of people have signed up. Uh, The housing options going forward are like camp cabins. So if you were, you snooze, you lose, as they say. Um, But it'll be fun. I'll be in a camp cabin, so I hope to see you there. Um, Jackie and Vince, why should we go on the retreat? That's what I want to know. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, so we had been at Awaken about a year uh, last year when the retreat came around, and we had, you know, met a few youth folks, but we're just like, you know, we really would love to meet a broader circle of people, just feel even more connected at Awaken. So we're just like, you know, let's give it a shot, let's try this retreat thing. So we did. We went uh, last year about about this time. Nice.
3: Yeah, to be honest, I was really nervous. Um, even though I'm more of an extrovert, I was—I don't do well with unstructured time. I was just like, "Oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? Like, who are we gonna talk to? Like, what's it gonna be like?" So um, I was pretty nervous, but. Um, I was really impressed with the planning that went on to the retreat and you could tell that they really took into account different personalities So there was lots of free time But there was also different structured activities where you could choose what activity you wanted to do So anything from like a group nature walk to group game night to like spiritual growth opportunities So it was just a really good opportunity to like connect with other people who maybe had similar personalities to you and similar interests
0: yeah, and I would just say in the unstructured times too, it was just easy because I mean, everybody's there for the same reason. People want to meet people, right. So whether it's over a meal time or a bonfire or whatever, it was just easy to start to get to to know people. And I think just having extended time, you know, as a real gift, we, d- we just don't get very often, right? Just to so be relaxed and have that time to have multiple conversations with people. Uh, really was was awesome and over that we just you know started to to make those connections
3: Yeah, and actually, we could tell a difference the very first week back at Awaken after that. Um, As people were coming up and down the aisle um, for communion, you know, it was like, we know them. We know them now. We're like waving, and it just felt really good. It was like, okay, we feel connected now. Um, When we go to activities now or events at Awaken, we always know somebody, which is really nice. But even more than that, we have actually become good friends with some of the people that we met at the retreat. So we go out to dinner. We have some people in our life group. We... um, play pickleball with people so it's it's been um i think that was a direct result of going on the retreat so if anybody is on the fence or you're like i'm nervous i'm not sure i would just really encourage you to go if you um want to have more of a sense of belonging here
2: if you have more questions ask jackie and vince or of course any staff person and i'll just say like Listen, the internet makes everything available to us, so you can get good preaching, like far better preaching than you hear on Sunday mornings here. They're out there. Uh, You can get, like, lots of things, good music and so on and so forth. What you can't get is friendships, like community and relationships. Uh, And this event is like our eggs in the basket for here's a chance to, uh, a space that we cultivate for you to connect with one another. So please take, uh, take advantage of that. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the word this morning. We are finishing our series on Nehemiah today. So if you have your Bible, we're in Nehemiah chapter 13, or if you have your phone, you can pull that up. And actually, I'm going to just read a small section, and then we're going to go back and kind of unpack chapter 13 with reading some other sections. So keep keep that open and available. This is Nehemiah chapter 13, starting in verse 29. Nehemiah writes, Remember them, my God because they have defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. And so I, Nehemiah, purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits. And he closes with, remember me with favor, my God. Pray with me if you would. God, as we finish this series of Nehemiah after having gone through this story and um sat with it for a bit it's my hope and prayer that you would continue to um to offer the wisdom that is that's found in this story for us uh, today in 2023 as a church called awaken i pray in the strong name of jesus and by the power of the spirit the church said together amen you may be seated uh as I mentioned, this is the end of Nehemiah's story, chapter 13. And I read just a little bit of it because it's sort of a, a, a culmination. It's sort of um, kind of the high level of like what's actually going on here in uh, in this story. And uh, it's, not, it's not great, friends. <laughs> chapter 13 does not end well. The story of Nehemiah does not end well, which is actually one of the reasons why I love the Bible. Uh, it doesn't paint... A rosy picture of unicorns and rainbows all the time, right? The stories don't always end well. It has this raw and real sense of which, like, these are actual people, and actually I can find myself in the midst of that story because not everything's going well for everybody all the time. It's actually quite critical of itself, the Bible. So um, find me another historical text where the people who are writing it is, are critical of themselves. Like, that just doesn't happen, right? Think about our culture right now. We're talking about like the history of America, and there's a whole group of people who are saying, no, actually, let's not talk about those things because that doesn't make us feel very good, and we're not the heroes in that story. We're actually the villains. The Bible doesn't do that. It's honest, and the people of God end up being the idiots of God at times, right? The, 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 the very the, the sacred community of Yahweh end up being the people who make a mess of it, and that is what happens in chapter 13. Nehemiah, uh, he leaves for a little bit, and he comes back, and it's a mess. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to start with a question, and then I want to move to uh, kind of like the two basic things that are happening in chapter 13 that Nehemiah is upset about, and then I want to end with a little mini lost in translation. There's a there's a couple of passages in here that are kind of hard to hard to grasp, hard to get your head around that maybe you even read and disagreed with. So we'll end there. Um, so, first, the question. If you look at verses 6 to 8, we, we get the backstory, We get the context of chapter 13, and it says this. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, that's Esther. <laughs> I'm like, that is not the right verse, Micah. Different story. Chapter 13, verse 6. Here it is. But while all this was going on, I, Nehemiah, was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission to go back to Jerusalem, and here I learned about the evil thing that Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. (laughs) Anybody have teenagers, right, where you like go into their room and you're like, no, absolutely not. This is not how we live. Uh, We just, there was a box of Legos, and I'm like, do we really need these anymore yesterday? And The answer was yes we do um nehemiah comes back so he leaves right he's the cupbearer to the king so he has a a a a place in the court of artaxerxes the king which is in babylon he leaves to come back and rebuild the temple or the wall and then he goes back and so this is what he's talking about and he asks permission like hey can i go back to jerusalem and kind of see how things are going and when he does he finds that it is a disaster, it's a mess. The people are running around like chickens with their head cut off. And I wanna ask this question of why do we do this? Maybe you've been in this situation where your company hires a consultant, things are crazy, it's not going well, like people aren't performing, and so you hire a consultant. And they come in and they start talking, they start asking questions, making some adjustments here and there, tweaking some things. They're like, ah, oh, let's do this differently, let's do that differently, we'll set up some different structures. And everyone's like, all right, cool. And then the consultant leaves, and what happens? Everybody just goes back to doing what they were doing before, right? Maybe you've been a, you've been a coach at a youth, youth sporting event. You're there. Kids are like pretty little ducks all in a row. They're listening. They're on the blue line. They're doing the drills. But the coach leaves, and then it takes like two minutes before kids are firing pucks at the goalie's head, you know, or running the bases backwards or whatever. Like, what is it about human, humanity that we do this? When the leader's present, we're on task. We're we're, we're focused. We're doing it. We're doing the work. We can take criticism and and correction. We can perform. But then the moment they leave, we just feel like, you know, like all the crazy hairs stand up and we got to do something. I want to ask a question this morning, and this isn't all play. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And I want to pause and ask this not because I want us to solve it. Or I want to, like, give you some silver bullet so you never end up there again. There's a good chance that you will. But I want us to make some observations about what does it mean to be human. So here's a story of a leader who is there and things are going well. And then he leaves and it all goes to pot. Why do we do this? Curious to hear your thoughts, your observations about humans in general. Nature, uh, Nature and habit, Yep. We like to have control, sure. We're scared of change. I recently heard uh, that some people experience all change as loss. I don't get those people. (laughs) I love change. I used to change my dorm room around at college every month because I like to come home to a new room. But some people don't like change. What else? Desire to conform. Yep. Yep. Fear of the unknown. Yes, the path of least resistance. That's too hard. hard. Or for church people, we've always done it this way, (laughs) right? Why would we change? I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I wanted to stop and at least pause and consider and, and make some observations about what is it about humans that we do this so that... When we find ourselves there, maybe we could have a little grace for ourselves because you probably will be there again or we will be there again collectively. But then also to just know a little bit about like self-knowledge, that's a very powerful tool to have some sense about who am I and what do we do collectively. So uh, let's move to like what's happening in this chapter. Um, Nehemiah really has two issues or two things that he's frustrated about and they have to do with the temple and the Sabbath. So the first observation I want to make, I'd say it this way, cutting corners and the ambulance effect. If you look at uh, verse, uh, starting in like verse, well, we read a little bit about it, verse four and following, um, the first half of this chapter tells the story of what's happening in the temple, right? Nehemiah came back to rebuild the wall. Ezra, the previous book, they just finished rebuilding the temple, and so um, Within the temple, if you were to look it up on Google, like ancient Israel's temple, you would find a map and you would see that there are lots of different places within the temple. And one of the places in the temple is called the storeroom. Evidently, there's a guy named Eliashib who is the priest overseeing the storerooms in the temple. And those storerooms were filled with goods, goods that would then be used to feed and provide for the Levites, the priests, who would have come, left their homes for a period of time and served in the temple. And so Eliashib is overseeing those storerooms. And uh, we find that he has a friend named Tobiah. Is he the same Tobiah as earlier chapters, the ones who opposed Nehemiah and his work? We don't know. It's likely. But um, he's got a buddy named Tobiah who needs a place to stay. And he's like, hey, the storerooms aren't full. You should sleep here. Like, bring your cot. It's like a a lock-in at the church. But if you know anything about the temple, you know that, like, that's not cool, man. Not cool at all. The temple was run like the military. There are very strict orders and processes and things that you did and things that you did not do. One of them was invite your friends to sleep in the storeroom of the temple. And so Nehemiah is like, what on earth is going on here? And at what point did you think it was a good idea to have your friends sleep in the storeroom of the temple, which you are overseeing, to be full, so we can feed the priests. You can see the problems here, the breakdowns. So Nehemiah is upset about that, and rightly so. Eliashi decides to cut some corners and bend the rules a little bit to, 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 to benefit himself. Kids in the room, everyone listen up if you're under 10 or under 13 kids. I want to give you a lesson. Cutting corners will never pay. It never turns out good. Walk it out. If you're asked to go 10 steps, go 10, not 8. Now I say this as an aide on the Enneagram, whom my wife always says, Micah, the rules apply to you too. You know this, don't you? I recently worked a little bar job at the State Fair, at the Frontier Bar, pouring beer, and uh, I was the new guy, fresh fish, you know? Everybody else has got embroidered shirts, Frontier Bar, I'm wearing like the cheesy red vest, <laughs> like just blazing, like a blinking sign, new guy, new guy. and. Uh, I have this, this reel, this gear in my head that's always spinning, and that gear is, is asking questions like, is this the most efficient way to do this? Because if it's not, I'm not interested in wasting time, energy, or steps, okay? <laughs> I mean, if you want, it's an asset, right? Like, if you, bring me, if you bring me in as a consultant, that's a good thing. Is this the most efficient way to do this? But when you're the new guy who doesn't know anything about the business... What you don't want to do is come in and say, I think we could do this differently. And so I'm standing at my till all week, and there's a camera right in front of me, like in the corner, and I just kept hearing this voice of like, Micah, someone is watching you. Don't cut corners. (laughs) And also, do what you're told. This guy, for whatever reason, decides to cut some corners, some things that he knew he shouldn't do. Because it would benefit him, because it would benefit his friend. And Nehemiah is like, listen, there's a reason for all this. And you may not understand it, but you don't have all the access. You can't see all the angles. So just obey. Do what you're told on this one, Micah. I mean, Eliashib. <laughs> and um, the, the temple was, uh, the second thing to note here is that the, t- the, the storerooms weren't full which is problematic. I mentioned a little bit earlier that these storerooms would get filled by the people of Israel. And the the temple was the center of worship. So the Levites, this one tribe, was dedicated to serve in the temple and they would train and they would learn Torah and they would become adults. And then somebody on a big spreadsheet would say like, you guys from this town, you're coming up from this time to this time and then from you guys from that town, you're coming from here to here, right? And if you weren't a Levite, you were off the hook. No, you were not. If you owned a vineyard, you would give a portion of your best, your best wine to the temple every year for the worship of the people of God in the temple when wine was required, of which that was a lot of the time. I think that would have been a good place to go to church. Uh, but if you owned uh, if you owned an olive grove, you would send the best of your olive oil after it was pressed up to the temple for the worship of God's people in the temple. If you own if you were a farmer and you, you had grain, you would send a portion of the best of your harvest to the temple so that the Levites had something to eat for the bread that was made and for the worship of God's people, right? If you if you were a farmer and you raised goats or sheep, or you would send a portion of your animals up to the temple. Do you see what I, do you see the pattern here? Okay, the point is this. The sacred community of God's people required everybody to participate. Whatever you did, as insignificant as you may have thought it to be, a portion of that was required for the worship of God's people in the temple. And I say that to remind us of this this reality because I don't think it's changed much. This is a non-profit organization, right? We don't sell anything at the market. So there's no way to generate revenue to do and step into the things that we sense God's calling us to do and step into. It requires the work of the people. So whatever it is that you have in your hands, it, and, and the ambulance effect, right? You guys have ever seen uh, an accident, like a car accident, and a whole group of people gather around, and there's 30 people, and somebody's like, hey, somebody call an ambulance! And what does everybody think? Somebody else will do it. That's an actual scientific study that they've done. And the storerooms of the people of God, in the temple of God, after being in exile for 70 years, are for some reason empty. And this is of course me putting my thoughts into the text, but is there any sense in which the people thought somebody else would do it? And I wanna just pause as we begin a fall season to remind you that whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you have in your hands, from the youngest to the oldest, it matters. And I want to I strike a fine line and like a, a balance between that weird and manipulative power, power grab that you may have experienced in religion before, where pastors and people in positions of power say things and they, they put things on you that are just expectations that are actually quite unhealthy and exploitative and toxic. That's not what we're trying to do here, okay? So we're going to steer clear of that. And we're also going to say... It's going to take all of us to go where we sense God inviting us to go. So let's go together. It's way more fun. Like, you can do something with what you have, but if we pool all of our resources together, we can do something together that none of us could do alone. And that's always more fun. So let's go. Don't cut corners. Um, and and the, it's the work of the people, right? Uh, no ambulance effect around here. Somebody else isn't going to do it, all right? Um, The second thing that Nehemiah is upset about, it has to do with the temple and the storerooms. But then, even as I say what I just said, he's upset about Sabbath. If you look at verse, uh, starting in verse 15, it says, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds. They were bringing this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Sabbath rest is required for us to be the sacred community. For the people of God in Scripture to be the sacred community, Sabbath was required. And I would say it's no different now. There is this idea that many of us have heard about, Sabbath, that I would would venture to say not very many of us practice. And I want to remind you, as we gear up for fall, as we move into this new ministry season, that there, w- there will be lots to do, right? There's lots of work to be done. And you are a human being, not just a human doing. You are not exploitative or, or to be exploited for your what you can produce. But there is this balance that we uh, that we are invited into by God, Sabbath was not an obligation. It wasn't a duty. It's not a law or a rule or regu- regulation. It's a gift. I want, you, I want you to imagine like two different timelines, right? Chronos time on the bottom. Chronological time. This is how our lives work. It's the clock that just keeps ticking, right? Time waits for no man. There's chronos time. And then there is Sabbath. Abraham Joshua Heschel, who's a Jewish rabbi, says that, that Sabbath is for time what the temple is for space. If the temple was this sacred location where God's presence dwelled, he would argue that Sabbath is for time what the temple is for space. And so you and I, our lives are happening, la, 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 down the road, down the road. We are invited by God to step out of that time and into sacred time in a rhythmic habitual way where we learn a few things. We're reminded of a few things that I do not in fact hold the keys to the kingdom. That, I, that it does not all rise and fall on my shoulders. That if I don't produce, no one else will. No, Sabbath is about rest. It's about receiving. It's about recognizing my place in the universe. It's about recognizing my place in the world. Thank you, Michael W. Smith. I'm looking for a reason, roaming through the night, to find my place in this world. Yes! That's not in the notes, people. (laughs) Sabbath is a gift, and I want to remind you of it. So is there one step you can take towards living a life that has Sabbath as a regular occurrence, where every seven days you take some kind of break and you receive. You set something down so that you can receive. I want your hands to be moving, to be working, to be engaged in the work of God in the world. But for one day, for one moment, can we set it down and recognize that it's gift. It's all gift. It always has been. And I'll let you discern what that might look like. Maybe it's setting aside a day or an afternoon, or maybe it's putting your phone away for 24 hours. I don't know. But can you enact Sabbath as a rhythm of your life so that we don't become machines? It seems to be quite important here. Nehemiah says one of the reasons we're in exile is because our people forgot Sabbath. May it not be so again, amen? Work and rest. There's always balance, breathing in and breathing out. Now, let's close this gathering with uh, one brief little um, excursion into Lost in Translation. Some of you maybe have not been here in a summer where we take a passage that's really weird and bizarre and we unpack it because, hey, we're not afraid. We're not scared. Chapter 13 opens this way. On the day of, book, of the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. These are neighboring tribes. So no no Ammonite, no Moabite is admitted into the entrance of the temple. They're out, these other tribes. If you skip ahead to the end of chapter 13, Nehemiah says this, Moreover, in those days, in 23, I saw the men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. So they're intermarrying with these tribes. Not only are they letting them into the temple, they're marrying their daughters and their sons. Nehemiah says in verse 25, I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. (laughs) I think I'm going to try that. I once heard a sermon from an actual pastor who, like, is alive right now who said, like, they had reason to, like, you know dropped the hammer on some of the elders of the church because they were acting like idiots. So he's like, I just want Nehemiah on them. They're lucky I didn't beat them up. Okay, friends, okay. There's a lot of things in the Bible that you know are up for interpretation, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say don't ever do that. <laughs> don't ever act like that. It's never okay. I don't think Jesus would ever be okay with you beating up another person and pulling out their hair, even if they've uh, uh, offended the Lord, <laughs> all right? Don't do that. How do, we, how do we handle a passage like this? This is, this is the Bible. This is the word of God, which we are to submit our lives to. And it says, don't intermarry with other tribal people and neighboring nations. We got to keep this thing pure. I don't think any of us are okay with that. I hope none of you are okay with that. So how do we handle it? How do we read it? I want to offer two two lenses through which to read a troubling passage like this. The first of which is, Ammon and Moab are archetypal. They uh, They are symbolic of a kind of person who stands at odds with the kingdom of God and the invitation of Yahweh to be the sacred community. So there were people who would introduce practices that stood at odds with what God was calling Israel to do and be. Those people are Moabites. Those people are Ammonites. They are to be excluded. And also, does anyone remember the story of Ruth? Does anyone remember where she came from? Moab! She was a Moabite. She marries an Israelite. Her husband dies. She follows her mother-in-law all the way back to Israel. She becomes a part of Israel. She, like, enters into the sacred community. And actually, Matthew's... Uh, lineage that he starts his gospel with says so-and-so was born to so-and-so and and -and so-and-so was and ruth was his mother and then it keeps going and keeps going and says and then joseph and mary and jesus so ruth is actually in the lineage of jesus the messiah so it cannot be to exclude all of the moabites because we have it in scripture an alternative version of that right so then what i would argue these are archetypal these are symbolic groups of people One way to read it. A second way to read it, I think, is uh, maybe a bit more challenging for a group of people like us. And I wonder, is this exclusion of another group of people who don't look like us, or is this the preservation of one's own story and memory? Um, I I recently listened to a podcast with a woman named Cole Arthur Riley. She's an African-American woman who's a poet and a writer, and she was talking about, she was married to a white man, and she went to his family cabin because... I guess white people have family cabins. Uh, And she is standing in this family cabin, and there is a room dedicated to their family history. And in that room are diplomas and journals and written notes and pictures of years and years and years, like centuries, right, going back of the family story. And as an African-American woman who comes from a directly descendant of slaves in America, she stood there, and as she recounted this experience, she was very sad that her history wasn't as deep and as rich, that it had been erased by another group of people. I think of indigenous people in America, in this land, for whom there was and maybe still is a concerted effort to erase their people, right? Kill the Indian, save the man, was what, they were, what we were told, the government told right? So if, 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 if you imagined a group of people who had been stolen, kidnapped, and brought to this land, if they said to one another, in order to not be erased, in order to preserve a memory and a story and a lineage, don't marry outside of the family. Don't marry outside of the tribe. If you heard a group of Native American people, indigenous people say this, I would actually argue that maybe this is an act of resistance against oppression, an oppressive force that is attempting to erase you by power and by force, and actually is a, 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 a move of resistance, of standing up against injustice to say, no, we will not be erased. And when you read the Bible, I want to suggest that there are times when, as a group of people for whom many of us have read it from the top, we don't see that. And we read it and it's troubling. But possibly for another group of people, it's like, oh, I get that. I see what's happening there. And I don't think that's a bad reading of this text, quite frankly. I mean, think of where they were, Israel. They were oppressed, enslaved, about to be erased. The northern tribes of Israel, they're gone by now. Like, by a hundred years, they've been conquered and erased. No one hears from them ever again. So in the minds of the people, what, is, what, what do you care about? Your story, your people. So awaken. Awaken. This morning. This is sort of a smorgasbord chapter. There's a lot of things happening here, but let me just kind of tie this up as we move towards the table of communion. As we start a new season in the fall and turn our attention to what God is inviting us to, a reminder of the human condition, that sometimes when um, we find reasons to, 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 to go back to the path of least resistance, well, let's not do that. Let's keep forging ahead. Let's keep learning and growing together. Let's stay on task. A reminder uh, that being the sacred community in the world is going to require all of us together doing something that we can't do alone, but that we can do together. And that this text, which stands at the center of our life together, because it attests to the, the teachings of Jesus, right? This text is complicated and beautiful and hard and troubling at times. And that in it, we believe God by God's spirit is still speaking and leading us. And so we come to it wrestle with it and sometimes move beyond it because the spirit invites us to move beyond it if you think I'm crazy read the book of Acts so to the church gathered this morning a few thoughts maybe something stands out to you maybe something shines a little bit more than another I'll trust that the spirit will do that work so let me offer a word of prayer as we move to the table God this morning we gather in your name Jesus and we do so to be reminded of who we are of who you are, of what you've invited us to do and be and become. And so by your Spirit, which is alive and well and moving and working, do that work in us now, slowly but surely. Transform us, change us. As we make our way towards this table this morning... Um, A few instructions for you. In a moment, I'll invite you to come down the side aisles to one of the tables here. And on those tables, there's red wine and there's white grape juice. I invite you to take a piece of that bread and dip it in one of those cups. And as you do, know that the body of Christ has been broken for you and the blood of Christ has been shed for you. Um, I have a little mobile station here. If it's easier for you to receive communion in your seat, I would be happy to serve you there. Um, But let's come to the table together. To the church gathered this morning in St. Paul called Awaken. Right before I offer a blessing, I want to. Uh, I made a joke about cabins, and um, sometimes when I'm nervous, I try to be funny, and sometimes I say things that I regret saying because I think I said white people have cabins, family cabins. And maybe that's true, but. Uh, it actually is, um, it's pretty sad, if it is, for a lot of different reasons, about generational wealth and about land and what we, how we, how our relationship to it and that we can own it, or we think we can own it. So, um, I regret my cavalier nature in that moment. Um, so, thank you for letting me be in process with you. The downside of my job is I do it in front of all of you. The upside of your job is you don't. <laughs> Um, So, my apologies. Um, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find
0: us online at www.awakenedcommunity.com. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community. Or on Twitter the Awaken Community. See you next time.